How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Life's Key 3, where we look at the three most important aims in life. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. Now, if you're a Christian, it probably makes sense to you why we would have the second one, love God. I mean, really, can we just agree that can sound like a, well, duh. But the reality is sometimes what we really focus on in our teaching is to know God. And knowing God and loving God are two entirely different themes. And even living connected, we can kind of go, well, yeah, uh, duh, we, we get that. But how do we actually do that effectively? How do we do that as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, as an extended family member, as a colleague, as, as just a member of the world community? That's a skill set we have to develop our entire life because we're not the same person our entire life because we change and our expectations change and our responsibilities change. The first of those, learn yourself, can be kind of like, uh, that sounds a little like an option. I mean, how important is that really? It is incredibly important. And we're going to dive more into that this year as we apply scripture specifically in these three areas. But I'm just going to throw out there for right now, I think you can only love God and live connected successfully to the degree that you are self-aware. Ever had a friend that you loved, but they seem to lack the awareness that they monopolized conversations whenever they showed up and it ended up having an impact. Maybe it didn't end the friendship for you, but you could see where it diminished opportunities for them. And we're not going to see our need for God if we don't have enough self-awareness to know that we do need him. So that's why I'm going to keep bringing you back to those three key aims, learn yourself, love God, and live connected. Now, in 2023, I am so excited because the focus for this year, for this podcast, is strategic Bible study and application of it to real life. We're going to cover significant passages of Scripture. We're not covering the entire Bible, but we're going to cover significant passages of Scripture, and we're going to pull out insights that we can apply in our lives. It's unlikely that every single episode is going to speak to exactly what you're dealing with on that particular day. But here's the thing. Studying scripture, even when we have insights that we don't see an immediate application for, is like putting money in the bank because the day will come that you're going to need that. And better to have it there that you can immediately access rather than having to go hunt around for answers. If you're just joining us, the way this works is I walk through in each episode a particular passage in the Bible. And then as a Highlights newsletter subscriber, you're going to get three days worth of additional reading plan and insights 
to carry you through until the next week's episode. And I reference a couple of different Bibles. So if you have children, you're going to be able to make this a family Bible study. You're going to have some insights and you're going to have some discussion questions. We want to be strategic about equipping the upcoming generations with a savvy faith. And that's never going to happen unless they have a knowledge of, an appreciation for, and personally experience the relevance of the Bible to their everyday life. Last week, we began with the first chapter in 1 Samuel. Now, I get 1 Samuel is not always the book that people are like, yeah, that's where you need to begin your Bible study, but this is a fascinating book. And we looked at Hannah, and we also looked at the fact her story is not this glossy fairy tale story. And even though it's a beautiful story, it's not without pain and sorrow and not just because of her infertility, but also even because she ended up having a child that she had said, God, if you give me this child, basically, I will give him back to you. I will give him essentially up for adoption. Now, that wasn't a legal adoption, but it was pretty much the same as in terms of real everyday life. Now, if you track through as a Highlights newsletter subscriber, then you've covered chapters 2, 3, and 4. And so we're going to pick up today with 1 Samuel chapter 5. And I find this is a combination of a chapter that is both sobering and also hilarious. What has happened between chapter one and chapter five is that Hannah, who had struggled with infertility, had been able by God's intervention to bear a son. And she gave that son when he was a very young child. We don't know the exact age, but a very young child back to God by taking him to be raised by Eli the priest at the place where the Israelites gathered to worship in those days. So Samuel has gotten older and God has spoken to him. We don't know exactly what age he was, but we know he wasn't a full adult yet when God shows up and begins to reveal himself to him. And the very first revelation that is recorded that God gives to Samuel is not a wonderful, joyous story. As a matter of fact, it's a tale and a prophecy that he was scared to report to Eli because basically it was like, hey, all this bad stuff is going to happen. And guess what, Eli? Your two sons are going to be killed. Oh, that's a great story for a kid to tell somebody. So Samuel grows up and In this time period, Israel goes to battle against one of their common enemies that they end up battling back and forth for a very long time, a group of people that the Bible calls the Philistines. And the Israelites are incredibly insecure in whether God is going to show up for them. And so they had said, you know what, we're going to go get the Ark of the Covenant, which went back to the days of Moses, and we're going to bring that with us. Now, This was not something that God had instructed them to do. This was where they were using the Ark of the Covenant more like a rabbit's foot or a good luck charm than they were honoring it as representing the sacred presence of God. The Israelites take what God had set aside as sacred and as an indication of his presence 
with them and his favor on them, and they had used it for their own gain. They were afraid, and rather than allowing that fear to motivate them to go to God in repentance and asking for his direction, they just decided to take matters into their own hands. So they go get the Ark of the Covenant. They bring it with them. We're going to take this into battle, and this is going to basically be our plan and our guarantee that we are going to win. Wrong. Doesn't turn out that way. They end up not only getting trampled and soundly defeated, but they end up losing the Ark of the Covenant. Their presumption on God led to them losing something that was sacred. It was the most sacred physical element that they could touch to remind them of God's presence, and they misused it. The Philistines actually seem to have a little bit more respect for the Ark than even some of the Israelites did. Because when they heard that the Ark of the Covenant was coming into the the battleground, they were terrified. I mean, they had heard the stories of how the Israelites' God had knocked down cities and parted waters and sent plagues and had done all these things. The Philistines were not this ignorant group of people who didn't know anything about history, they were pretty terrified when they heard that the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into the battlefield. But they end up winning and they capture the Ark of God. Now, this is the part that I think is hilarious. They take the Ark of God and they bring it into the house or or the temple of their God, Dagon. They actually treat it with tremendous respect. They don't burn it. They don't smash it. They take it to their God's house and they set it up next to their God. They didn't want to tick off the God of the Israelites. So the next morning, the people get up and whoever they were, and they go into this temple of Dagon. And what do you know? The Ark of the Covenant is still sitting there. But Dagon has fallen over and is lying on his face. He's done a face plant in the middle of the night. And so the people pick up their God and put him back up. Could I just point out that that is what happens anytime that people serve a false God? And I don't mean here just an idol. I mean anything that we equate with being God that isn't really God will always end up doing a face plant next to what God says. So maybe they think, okay, I don't know, maybe there was a little bit of an earthquake or a tremor or whatever that happened. But, you know, so they pick their God up, they put him back up, they go on about their business, and then they come back the next morning. Now, this time, he's not only fallen face down, but his head and his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. And we are told that he is lying in this position before the ark of the Lord. These people are pretty smart at this point. They know now, oh, this this wasn't just the result of a tremor that occurred in the middle of the night. Uh, This is divine intervention because it was a very clear statement. Your God is totally incapable. 
If you cut off a head and hands, you don't have anything left to work with. A person could lose two hands and still function very well with a lot of work and a lot of effort, but could still have a full, rich life that contributes enormously to other people. You lose a head, not going to happen. You're dead at that point. I don't know exactly why God decided to knock off both his head and his hands. I mean, it seems like if you just took off the head, that might be enough. So this is total conjecture on my part. There's nothing in the scripture that says this. I just wonder if it was to make a statement, hey, without your hands, you can't do anything entirely on your own without the aid of either other people or some sort of prothesis. or having to do workarounds that are going to take up your time and your energy. And without your head, you've lost your ability to think. Anytime that we put up a God next to the one true God, we lose our ability to think clearly, rationally, and aligned with truth, and we incapacitate ourselves in a significant way. In the States, we look at idol worship as being something that we don't really have to contend with. I mean, that happened in history, or maybe that still happens in a few other places around the world, but we have risen above that. But the reality is we have not, because worshiping an idol is not about worshiping a physical object. It is about worshiping and recognizing a belief system that we create in our own image. And that is happening at an exponential pace here in the States. We will decide who God is. So if we want to give approval to all kinds of human behaviors that God says are not aligned with the way we are designed to live, We will just create God in our image and say, oh, he's just a God of love. He's never a God of judgment. He doesn't have anything against fill in the blank, whatever behavior or belief system it is. And all we're doing is creating a God in our own image, the God that we want to have. And make no mistake, sooner or later, every time that we do that, eventually our belief system Our false God that we've created is going to end up flat on the floor. And God may give us a warning the first time by just knocking something over. But if we just prop it back up and say, we're just going to put it back up in its place, and we're just going to say, oh, well, that was just some sort of weird circumstance, God will intervene again, and he'll do it in a way at some point that it's unmistakable the message he's trying to send. We don't want to get to the point that God has to knock our false gods down and cut off their head and cut off their hands in order to waken us up. Because what happened with the Philistines was at that point, they knew they were in trouble. And so the people that lived around the temple of Dagon said, this is not good for us. We're getting rid of the Ark of the Covenant. What they should have done if they had fully respected the sacredness of that ark was to have sent it back to Israel. But they were half-hearted. They didn't want the consequence that came from setting up their own false god next to the, the true god. So they just decide to send it to somebody else, to some other group. And then that group of people end up coming 
ill with all kinds of things. And after a period of time, they're like, this is not a good plan. There is something seriously wrong. This God of the Israelites is not happy with us because the ark is here. And so they decide to send it off somewhere else. Now, eventually, as the ark is getting sent to these different places, finally it's going to show up at this other place. And the people at this place have heard of what's happened to everybody else in the, in the city and the areas where the ark has been. And they're like, what are you doing? You are only doing this because this is your way of trying to wipe us out. And they're terrified. And they say, uh-uh, you cannot bring the ark here. And it says there was a deathly panic throughout the entire city. So how does this apply to life's key three aims? Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. Number one, the Israelites did not choose to have enough self-awareness of what was motivating them to take the ark into the battle to begin with. They had the responsibility to investigate what their motives were. They were not trying to honor God by bringing the ark onto the battlefield. They were trying to use God to manipulate him to obtain an outcome that they wanted. They weren't loving God. They were using their knowledge of God just to try to get him to give them what they wanted, which was a victory over their enemy. When the Philistines took the ark from one place to the other, while they had a a rightful fear of God, they did not allow that fear, even though they were experiencing the consequences of having something sacred they were not entitled to have. They did not allow that fear to lead them to repentance. They just would send it off to, to go be a bother to somebody else. And we need to see ourselves, not just in the Israelites, but we need to see ourselves in the Philistines and to say, you know what, sometimes God brings about affliction because we haven't given something sacred its rightful place. And rather than choosing to honor our connectedness to other people and to loving God, we can just then choose to say, okay, our aim here is just going to be to protect ourselves and we don't really care about what happens to somebody else. Let's just slough this off on them. Let them be the ones that deal with it. And while we're going to acknowledge this, God is very powerful. We're not going to turn to him in repentance and choose to love him. They absolutely had firsthand experience and knowledge of God, but they did not allow that knowledge and experience to inform their hearts to turn to him with love. If you're a parent, You can pack your kids' schedule with all kinds of church and youth group and kids' programs, and you can have Bible memory charts off the wazoo. But your aim cannot be to stop at experience and information. You have to look at how do I cultivate a love for God? And you're not going to be able to cultivate that for your kids. You can model that for them. You can pray that for them. You absolutely have an influence in that for them. Well, we're going to talk more about that at a later time. But today, I want you to take away from this. Number one, don't duplicate the Israelites' mistake and try to take something sacred and God's presence and use it in a manipulative way to just get what you want. 
And don't duplicate the Philistine's mistake, which is to have a knowledge of God and an experience with him, but not allow it to turn your heart to love and serve him. All right, we're going to wrap up for today. And if you're not already, subscribe to Highlights, and you're going to get the reading assignment, some additional insights, some discussion questions for your family between now and next week's episode, where we're going to continue with the book of 1 Samuel, because this is a fascinating book that is accessible and is full of stories and all kinds of insights that we can use and apply to our lives. All right, my friend, remember this. You have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.